is going on ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another edition of the jays for days podcast i'm josh he's josh we got jays jumpers jaron jackson juniors john Morantz, joe johnson's jaw Rass, of course we've got jays we got him for days josh how you doing now you've had a little time to process i know you've had a rough 26 hours to be <laughs> more exact but how are you doing I'm I'm uh I'm hanging in there. It's eight oh two and if you listen to Thursday morning or Friday morning's pod, I have not slept since that pod. So um I'm very much looking forward to the sleep I'm going to get after the recording of this pod. But all things considered, I'm uh I'm hanging in there. Glad to hear. It happened again. Yeah. It happened again. Did you did you think when UMBC beat Virginia how long did you think it was going to be before another 16 beat a one? Good question. I'd probably say a decade. I'm not totally sure what my emotion was at the time, but I kind of think this is going to happen once every five years. I think I've decided that and I'm not, and I'm not totally sure why, but I think, and maybe it just is as one seeds become less and less, have less and less continuity, that they'll just be more susceptible more often to, this is the NCAA tournament, this is the first time we're playing in this tournament together, even though we are a one seed kind of thing. Um, And, you know, I think just from top to bottom, basketball players are better than they used Mm -hmm. to be. And as a result, when a one seed has kind of an obvious flaw that is easy to dissect in a one game affair in which you have, you know, a week to prepare for it, um, or for, I mean, it's a little less in Farley in fairly Dickinson's case because they had to play a, a playing game, but or our first four games, excuse me, but. I think just because basketball players at Fairleigh Dickinson are better than the basketball players at Fairleigh Dickinson used to be. And the fact that every once in a while you get a one seed that just has a pretty obvious flaw, even though they are still a one seed that, uh, that we might get to a point where we see it, you know, roughly every five years. But, uh, but I, but I, uh, I wasn't really sure, but uh, this is, um, you know, two times in four years, for five years, I guess, um, five tournaments. Two times in five tournaments is uh, is way more frequent than it was in the previous history of the tournament. <laughs> and the gap is clearly closing, which it is kind of weird that at least I can't remember any escapes from one seed. Hmm. Which we'll talk about, you know, one that happened today for a three or yesterday for a three seed, where it looked like they were going to lose that game, then all of a sudden they found a way to win. I remember mm. Gonzaga had a close game for a while against a sixteen. I don't remember who it was, but then they were up eight with yeah. three minutes to go, and it, you know, it wasn't actually in doubt at the end. And I guess to UMBC's credit, that game wasn't in doubt at the end either. <laughs> no. no, but it does seem like the. The couple times that it has actually 
really sort of gone in favor and the 16 seed has put themselves in a position for 40 minutes to win the game. Mm-hmm. They've done it. So maybe the next thing we see is a super, super tight game like what just happened, except the one seed finds a way to pull it out. And then, yeah, a couple years after that, another 16 wins. This is definitely going to become a thing, though. 100 percent. Yeah, I think I think that's where we're headed is that it, it will get and it'll always be super special. I just think over the next 20 years, it will get less special. Uh, it will always be special because, you know, 15 has beat a two, you know, a dozen times. And, and that's happening all the time now, too. Right, right. But that and that still feels but like, you know, the difference between what Fairleigh Dickinson did and what Princeton did is night and day. Mm hmm. When it comes to how we're talking about it, but um, the Knights, the smallest team in the country, sixty-three fifty-eight over the Purdue Boilermakers. Purdue made nineteen field goals in twenty minutes. Zach Eady's last field goal of the game came at the nine twenty-five mark. They shot five of twenty-six from the three-point line, and um, despite uh, being a team that walked through the Big Ten. Got a number one seed. Um, Fairleigh Dickinson forced 16 turnovers. They got 11 steals of their own. And, um, you know, they got hit in the mouth a couple times, and it looked like Purdue might might sneak away a couple times, and they kept battling. And ultimately it was guard play late in the game that uh, that eventually bit Purdue in, in, in the backside. Um and they couldn't get the ball to their best player consistently enough, if at all. You could argue not at all in the last eight minutes of the game. And uh, when you can't do that and you're leaning heavily on two freshman guards, then uh, then even Fairleigh Dickinson can make you uh, can make you really work. Yeah, I did have this thought when FDU won the playing game or the first four game to get here. They're going to press them. That's a thing that's going to happen. Let's see what the result is. Never in a million years did I think it would be this. But there's a reason I said this from the beginning, that if I'm Marquette, I don't care that you don't practice it and that that's not part of Shaka's defense anymore. Mm -hmm. You go havoc as long as you can on this team. And that's what FDU did. And, you know, Matt Painter basically said after the game, the turnovers were what decided it. They did a a really good job making Edie uncomfortable. I'm also, and we were watching this game kind of also going, there aren't, and just for an example with Iowa State, we're going to get to that later. There is no plan B. If you have open threes, you have to take them. Mm-hmm. For Purdue, Purdue is one of the rare teams that I don't care if Zach Eadie's triple teamed. Him getting the ball still might be a better shot than you taking another three when you're 5 of 26. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're somebody not named Foster Lawyer who actually made three of them. Fletcher. Fletcher, sorry. Yes. The lawyers blend together. Thank you. Fletcher, yeah. Right, Smith is 1 of 6. Mason Gillis is 1 of 7. Ethan Morton and David Jenkins are combined 0 of 4 off the bench. At some point, you just got to... This might be the last time Zach Eady puts on a Purdue uniform. At some point, I don't care if all five defenders are there. Mm-hmm. I I just got to 
got to this moment where you just have to live or die with him. Because you can't, you can't take him out of the game. Mm-hmm. Especially when you, right, there are no seven footers out there to guard him. It is physically impossible to take him out of the game. You can make his life really difficult. You can do everything you can to discourage him from shooting by having, you know, hands all over the place. And every time he brings the ball down, people are swiping at it and all that stuff. He still made seven of the 11 shots he took. That that was one of the things that stood out to me is at some point I would have just said, and I think this is where some of the criticism being hurled at Matt Painter is coming from. At some point, look, just throw it up there. Trust him to get it. I don't care if there are three guys there. And We're why is that criticism for Matt Painter? And why is that criticism for Matt Painter? That's a very fair question from an adjustment standpoint, because I'm seeing a lot of he doesn't know how to adjust. Fletcher and Braden were embarrassing in this basketball game. Like, like I'm not exactly interested in any of the Zach Eady hate or any of the Matt Painter hate, to be honest with you. I'm not interested in any of it. Yeah, I'm not either. No, I'm I'm with you. I at some point it's about the players on the floor. Yeah, I like I just like I refuse like like the fact that there was ever a possession to your point, there was ever a possession that Zach Eady wasn't included in at any point in this game, but especially in the last five minutes, is crazy town. And like and like even on the last play, the last real possession that Purdue had when Fletcher airballed a three in the corner that he didn't have to take right at that second. Mm-hmm. So I'm not totally sure why he did. Like the play, like the primary option was Zach Eady on the block. And he like he he was there. Mm-hmm. Like he like he he had he had a split second where he had a guy on his hip and he's seven four. Pass him the basketball. And and I don't know if the if subconsciously the lack of, you know, just kind of the guys can hang all over Zach Eady without getting a foul call to subconsciously impacting the guards. So it's like, well, I would throw it up to him because in theory he's either going to get it or he's going to get fouled trying to get it. But they're not really calling those fouls. Mm-hmm. So so I don't know if that's subconsciously in there as well. But I'm just like not I'm I'm not totally sure. Like I'm not totally sure how you watch that game and point towards Zach Eady. I understand why people watch that game and point towards Matt Painter, but like the there his guards were bad and we knew his guards had been bad for the last two months. Like that's like that that that, that wasn't new. Like I I think there's a conversation that can be had way way more about perhaps Matt Painter's philosophies as of building a basketball team rather than his performance in March, because how he approaches his roster every year leads to a smaller margin of error in the tournament like that. I think we can have a conversation about, but I mean, of course the conversation is going to wrap back to Matt Painter here. It's it's not like I don't understand why, Mm -hmm. but, um, but I just like, I don't think it's that cut and dry. Um, no, one hundred percent. Yeah, and it's also probably not a coincidence. Matt Painter's most successful NCAA tournament team was led by Carson Edwards. Mm-hmm. For all of the, to your point, for all of the terrific bigs they've had, from Jawan Johnson to Isaac Haas to now Zach, you know, you can go down the list. That's 
they've always Fabian, had the seven foot. Matt Harms, Caleb yeah. Swanigan, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I forgot about yeah, I forgot about Swanigan. Yeah. Exactly. Is that a coincidence? It's looking Probably less not. and less like it. Probably not. The other thing I do want to get into with the painter conversation is they it's easy to just put the numbers next to the seeds they've lost to, right? You had the North Texas game, then you lose to St. Peter's in the Sweet 16, by the way, but nobody's mm-hmm. going to mention that. They weren't even the and his higher. And his, the best player on his team quit on him in that game, 100%. You can't convince me that Jaden Ivey did. Jaden Ivey threw a grown-up temper tantrum because he couldn't score on St. Peter's in that game. He gave up in that game. Yeah, and they weren't even – I mean, the two-seed also lost to that team. They were the three or four. Yeah. It was a three, right? I think it was three. Yeah. So that that context is a little bit different. What I what I come back to though, and yeah, you know, we're not going to go fifteen minutes on Matt Painter's legacy right now. We're already it fourteen then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some of that was the actual game though. It is important to remember, and we've been we talked about this in the lead up to the tournament. This team on paper is not a one seed. There's a reason they were not picked to finish, you know, top four in the Big Ten to win the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. There are holes here. And it became, it, there was a point where it looked like, well, maybe those holes just don't exist. And then the guards really took a step back and it was very clear where the holes were. That has to be part of this too. Is it a bigger upset than UMBC? Yes. Because FDU came from the first four because FDU isn't even the best team in their own conference tournament. They only got in because of that silly rule that teams can't play in the NCAA tournament. But you do have to, this isn't a Purdue team that, you know, started the season as one of the top teams in the country, then got a one seed and then lost. This is a Purdue team that overachieved, put themselves in a really good position and then threw that position away. In terms of the Matt Painter conversation, that needs to be part of it too. Because I am a firm believer, and it's not an excuse why they lost this game. They just didn't make good decisions, and they couldn't hit a three. But this idea of when when you're playing against the best teams in the country, when you're playing against the most confident teams in the country, and the best coaches in the country, the talent gap becomes much more important Usually this applies deeper in the NCAA tournament, right? The difference between making a Final Four and winning a national championship. You do pay a price for not being the more talented team when the other team is also experienced and marched really well coached, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Obviously, the circumstances are different here. But that is part of this, too, is this is a team with two freshman guards that are not, you know, McDonald's All-Americans or anything like that. And some real questions in terms of who was going to fill these spaces outside of Zach Eady. Mm. There were flaws after you exploited them. I give credit to Tobin Anderson. 
I would have never, I would have said exactly what he said and just never made it public. But <laughs> he had the stones to go public with it and his guys backed it up and they just played harder. They were tougher. They were smarter. End of story. Yeah. Yeah, I did not think that, uh, didn't think that, that, that even, even on a day where, <laughs> man, we, it, it, the last eight minutes don't paint don't paint the picture that Zach Eady was. I mean, twenty one and fifteen on seven of eleven shooting is like it's the unfortunate part. I mean, like NBA draft Twitter immediately went to Zach Eady, and then college basketball world immediately went to Matt Painter, even though it was not it was neither of those guys' fault. In at least in my opinion, it's just uh, it's 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 interesting to dissect. But um, Matt Painter's legacy is a topic for another time because. We have other games to get to, and that starts with, for a long time, it looked like the 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 woven thread of underachieving in the tournament and <laughs> as well as Sean Miller's underachieving in the tournament was going to come back and bite Xavier in the first round against Kennesaw State, and uh, they were just ba- barely able to eke out a 72-67 win over, over the Owls. Um, two of 12 from the three point line, which is, uh, which is striking. They ended up 24, 52 from the field, got to the free throw line 30 times though, which was the reason that they were able to get back into this game. And ultimately, despite a pretty ugly game, uh, the Musketeers will continue to dance. Yeah. The, the one thing I really want to harp on here. They gave up 43 points in the first half. Defensively. It was just one of those games where, because usually when Xavier loses, we talked about this, right? It's, they just have a stinker offensively. And so I saw that halftime score I hadn't started watching yet. And it was 43-56. And I went, oh, this is not an offensive issue. And then they scored another 36 points in the second half. They were fine offensively the entire game. The issue was they couldn't stop anybody in the first half and there were stretches in the second half where they couldn't stop anybody, but they had, I don't remember exactly how long it is, but it was a 12 0 run or something in there where they got defensive stops for an extended period of time and allowed them to get back to cut that double digit deficit to get to the point where they were back even. And then, you know, Jack Nungy makes a really good play on the block. They kind of decided the game because it, I thought that layup was going to go and he gets there. He, he blocks it. I thought there was a foul after that. The refs didn't call it. Mm. It ends up Xavier Ball. That kind of decided the game. They Yeah, they found a way. Give them credit. I I still feel the exact same about this team. Defensively, it's just not good enough. Kennesaw State just wasn't quite good enough in the second half to punish him for it. And Xavier, yeah, made some shots, hit the free throws, and Jerome Hunter was outstanding. Mm-hmm. Got to give him a shout out. You don't usually see him putting up 24 points, but they needed him. And he delivered to kind of keep him in the game. And then Jack Nundy starts making some plays. Suli Boom goes six to six from the free throw line, and yeah, they they do survive. Not impressive, but at the end of the day, it's it's what you have to do in this tournament. I just I I felt confident in my concerns coming away from this one. Yeah, I mean, they it's a team that outclassed the other from a talent perspective, and that ultimately got was the reason that they won the basketball game. Um, and they're going to lose 
for all of the reasons at some point in this tournament for the reasons that we've been harping on when it comes to Xavier for the entire season on one side of the equation, they, they, they don't play, they don't play good enough defense, which continues to baffle me with the types of athletes that they have. Like, I just, I do like, it's the same thing with Marquette. Like I just don't understand how neither of those teams are good defensively. Um, And the other part is that when without, without Zach Fremantle, who didn't play in this game, they're just they're, the bench is non-existent. It's just it just is it just is not there because when when he whether it's Jerome Hunter or Adam Kunkel, whoever it is that's who whoever it is that's in the starting lineup that would not be right. There's just no production coming off the bench, right? You had you know. Um, you had Edwards and Desmond Cloud coming off the bench. They played 24 minutes combined, and it was really Cloud who was the only guy that I mean, he played 21 of those 24 minutes. Yeah. So really, they played six guys, and neither of them had a field goal. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. Right? All, all 52 shots from the starters. Yeah, right. So at some point, they're going to lose because they are they they're going to get no bench production, and they're they're not going to play good enough defense. At some point, it's going to happen. Um, they tried their darndest for it to happen in the first round, but uh, Kennesaw State only twenty four points in the second half. The shots that were going down in the first half were not going down in the second half. There was, you know, there were some threes that were going down that weren't in the second half, and you know, all of those things that eventually you you know you expect those things to stop at some point. And it's just can the better team go on the run to get themselves back in the game? Xavier did it and uh held on for dear life at the at the end of the game and now they get pittsburgh and now they get pittsburgh who is rolling at this point you know there's always a play-in team that that kind of seems to have the ball rolling a little bit like a little bit faster than everybody else because they have that extra win and it looks like this year it's it is indeed the pit panthers and uh, they 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 were not impressive offensively, but they got to play Iowa State, who scored twenty three points in the first half, and followed by a whopping eighteen in the second half. Pitt winning fifty nine to forty one, an eighteen point win in the NCAA tournament when you score fifty nine points is uh, uh, impressive. Um, there were twenty eight total field goals made in this game. <laughs> Um, Iowa State was two of twenty-one from the three-point line. Was fourteen of sixty for twenty-three point three percent from the field. Uh, Pitt went to the free throw line twenty-nine times and knocked down twenty-five of them. That was the big difference in the game. That was the, they had a fourteen-point margin from the charity stripe, and that doesn't quite get you to a fifteen to an eighteen-point win, but it gets you it gets you pretty darn close. And uh, Jeff Capel's team, they will continue, um, continue here in the NCAA tournament. I'm so glad that Iowa State didn't have any of the conversation about the rim after this game. It was they had it measured before, and apparently it got tweaked or something because it was a little bit off. And then the NCAA asked them if they wanted to warm up again, and they said no. <laughs> Maybe in hindsight, that would have been a good idea. But something tells me that wouldn't have changed their chances. To TJ Osselberger and especially Gabe Kelsher's credit during the post game, they were they were having none of it. They said, "No, we play in the Big Twelve. We know how to deal with stuff. 
We're not going to yeah. sit here and blame this on the rim. So yeah. I appreciated that. That was the worst offensive performance I have ever seen. Yeah, it's really bad. And here's why. They were down 22 to 2. By the end of the first half, they had cut it to, I think it was five, and they were down seven at halftime. Yeah, I think at one point it was like 29 to 24. Yeah. It could have been a 20, tie game. 29 by to 23. Okay, it was six, somewhere in there. They had it yeah, under seven, like and it was seven at halftime. And then they still lost by 18 points. At one point, the score of this game had gotten all the way to 28-23. Yeah, so, so it was, was a five-point game. Yeah. Yep. They were down 22-2. to two. They had essentially erased the deficit by halftime to the point where I thought, well, they got another 20 minutes. They'll win this mm-hmm. game by eight. Mm-hmm. And then they were so bad in the second half that Pitt scored 29 points and won the second half by 11. And it was just not even a game for the last five minutes. This was the opposite of Northern Kentucky. Northern Kentucky's problem. Northern Kentucky just couldn't get the ball into, you know, anywhere inside the three-point line. So they were just chucking up threes. Mm-hmm. It's not that Iowa State's offense was bad. They got plenty of good looks. They got plenty of open threes. And they just clanged every single one of them. And um, then, which, which effectively means that their offense was bad. Let's just right. get that really. Let's just right, get right, that right. clear that we're not defending Iowa State's offense in, in no, any no, way, no, shape, no, or form no. here. No, it's it's even worse because it's not like they couldn't get the shots; they couldn't make them. Mm. Right? It wasn't a a funk a scheme or tactical issue. It was an execution issue. And then to make matters worse, you go eleven of nineteen from the free throw line. So even when they got to the free throw line, they couldn't hit their free throws. It was awful. Yeah, I didn't watch a single second of this basketball game because by the time I was ready, I was it, it was time for me to like check in on Iowa State and Pitt. The score was twenty two to two, and then <laughs> yeah. it was like, okay, it's halftime. It's a little closer. Maybe I'll check in in the second half. And then when it was time to check <laughs> into the second half, it was no longer a basketball game yeah. again. So, um, was- yeah that that was that was how that was always how Iowa State was going to go out, especially oh, yeah. especially after the departure of Caleb girl from the, from the, from the program that the guy that, that played offense with the most moxie and the guy that played offense with the, like Gabe Kelcher was probably the most consistent offensive presence on that basketball team. But like Caleb girl was the guy that could like swing four minutes for you and like yeah. knock down three threes and bring a lot of emotion into the building and like that kind of thing. And, um, the margin of error was even slimmer with and, without him, and that was that was always how Iowa State season was going to come to an end. Maybe not that spectacularly, but um, the the finished the season one hundred tenth in offensive efficiency. Yeah. Uh, that was um, that was pretty predictable, even if it was spectacular uh, beyond maybe even the most pessimistic of Iowa State um, believers. Yeah, and the problem with Kelcher is he's so hot and cold from three. Mm-hmm. To your point about Grill, that sometimes Kelcher will hit you know five of eight or something, and sometimes he'll go one of eight like he did in this game. You just don't know if they're going in or not. Some nights he's a 40% three-point shooter, sometimes he's a 20%. And when that's your primary source of offense, yeah, things like this can happen when you're that offensively challenged around him. It was – maybe you can argue the Butler – 
national championship game was worth that worse. I think it was from a field goal shooting percentage, but I would rather have the team that can't get the good shots than the team that gets decent shots and can't hit them. This mm-hmm. was painful to watch. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> all right. The last thing I've got, um, Memphis and, and Florida Atlantic played one of the better games of the first round. Indeed. Um, 66, 65 Florida Atlantic escapes the Memphis Tigers uh, close throughout the entire game. The box scores are alarmingly similar. And this comes down to uh, a bucket that Florida Atlantic makes uh, with just a few seconds left and a, um, a a debatable at best call um, where there was a rule to tie up, rule to held, held ball when it looked like Memphis had possession and called a timeout. At least that is a, uh, the, the replays suggest that was a possibility, um, but the possession arrow was in favor of FAU. They score on the following possession, and um, Memphis unable to get a shot up in the final possession. Yeah, tough. <laughs> it just looked like Memphis had this. You know, FAU started well, and then Memphis kind of clawed their way. Not that they were down a million points, but they got control of the game. Right, they had it right we're there. at halftime. Yeah. And but you know ahead most of the second half, it was it was there for the taking, and then yeah, just one of those, not quite to the extent that it happened to Virginia, but kind of the same idea of just everything started going wrong in the span of you know a matter of seconds, and all of it needed to go wrong in order for you to lose the game. And sometimes in March, that's just what happens. And mm-hmm. Memphis was on the the wrong side of this, right? You get the you know the possession doesn't go your way, and then they actually hit the shot and. All, all of that. There's a really good Florida Atlantic team. Really, there was a really good game. You know, both these teams showed up. You expected both of them to show up. I mean, they've got 12 losses between them mm-hmm. and 58 wins. It's not They're, bad. Dusty, Dusty May is also going places. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, the, Memphis is a is a smaller example of what of the phenomenon at Kansas State. In terms of, of of how much better they look when their two guys are going, yeah. Um, like Kendrick Davis and DeAndre Williams in the, I believe it was in the semifinal of the AAC tournament, had like seventy points combined. Uh, in the 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 AAC championship final game, a game in which Memphis beat Houston by ten, uh, Kendrick Davis had thirty one and DeAndre Williams had sixteen and thirteen. Um, and they were combined 16 of 31 shooting in that game. Um, in this game, they were just 10 of 30. Both of them were 5 of 15 from the fo- from the floor. Um, I mean, like, they both had fine games. Like, Kendrick Davis had 16. 16 only one assist, too. Only one assist. Um, DeAndre Williams, right, 13 points, 13 rebounds, 4 assists. So, but... That but but Memphis was ultimately going to go as far in this tournament as those two guys were going to take them, and um, unfortunately, the uh, they they weren't able to take them past past the first round. Yeah. And who knows? I mean, like like if they get that timeout, then Memphis has the ball and they're up by one, and then maybe they knock down two free throws and they go on to win or they miss the front end of a one and one and FAU comes down and scores anyways. Like, like who knows what would have ended up happening, but, um, but unfortunate that it feels like that, but you know, I can only have so much 
I, I can only feel so bad for a Memphis team that didn't was unable to get a shot off in the final possession. Mm-hmm. Like I just like I have a, a hard like, and it wasn't ideal. It's not like they had to they got to take the ball out on the side with four seconds left. Like it wasn't it wasn't quite that simple, but still, um, uh, a tough exit for for Penny Hardaway's team and a good season twenty six and nine. Um, and they continue to uh, to kind of move in the right direction. I'll be cu- very curious to see kind of where they go from here, assuming that uh, some of their most important players perhaps not not back next year in Memphis. And now we have FAU and FDU for a spot oh, in the Sweet 16. As everybody expected. As everybody Absolutely. Expected. You got anything else? Nothing too. TCU survives. Kentucky beats Providence. Those are two of the more interesting games TCU found a way to come back and win. The The other thing I want to say real quickly is <laughs> this East region, Duke Marquette. <laughs> it's just the elite eight is just calling out to you yeah. at this point. Yeah. I mean, you've really fumbled the bag. If you don't, if you're not getting to the elite eight at this right. point, if you're one of those two teams. You got a a Tennessee team that neither of us are scared by, a nine seed and a sixteen seed if you're Duke. And Marquette, you've got a Michigan State team with obvious limitations, and then one of Kentucky or Kansas State, one of you know, they're gonna eliminate the other one. So you don't have mm-hmm. to go through both of them. I this is <laughs> I don't know if I I'd have to go back and look at that Virginia bracket. But especially if you're Duke. I mean, you catch every break imaginable here. You get Tennessee as your four without Sakai Ziegler. Then you don't have to play the one seed. Mm-hmm. That maybe it's just you know a year later for the the magic, the magic pixie dust. <laughs> I know they had you know obviously they made the final four last season, but in terms of things falling their way, they are catching mm-hmm. every break imaginable here and playing well to make you think that they're actually going to take advantage. Yeah. Do you have the games for today in front of you? Kind of. I can I can roll through them, yes. I just want you to pick your favorite game. Oh, okay. Uh, it's not that one. It's not that one. While you're looking, mine's Arkansas and Kansas. I... Though that is, uh, that's, that's at five fifteen. That's the that's at five fifteen on Saturday afternoon. That is um, that is not even in this current form. That is not an eight seed. That is not no. an eight seed basketball <clears throat> team. And um, when you get matchups like that in in the second round, as a result, um, that's that that makes for some great matchups and is part of why the reason why the second round is probably the best. 48 hours of the entire tournament is because you have some of these games like, right. You have just the bracket giving you good games like your five versus four matchups. But oftentimes you find yourself in like a two, seven game or a one, eight game that sometimes includes a team that, that, that if things, that if the current form of their team had been together for 30 games, that they wouldn't have an eight seed resume, that it would be better than that. Um, And that, um, that might be the case. Um, that, that I think that's the case with Arkansas. So, as a result, that Kansas Arkansas game I think is is going to be a ton of fun. Um, you mentioned Duke and Tennessee. You got the Tiger Bowl between Missouri and Princeton. <laughs> um, Penn State, 
clicking on all cylinders. Um, Jimmer for that reincarnated, um, playing for for uh, Micah Shrewsbury's squad. Uh, they get Texas, and then Maryland will take on Alabama. Northwestern UCLA is also a, also an interesting one. The, but um, the other one I'm really looking forward to that I kind of hot take is going to be the best game of the day is San Diego State Furman. Yeah, that should be fun too. I'm really looking forward that. I think Kansas Arkansas takes wins out just a little bit because that could be a phenomenal game between two teams that could actually make the final four. But from an entertainment standpoint, you might not get better than San Diego State Furman. I'm I'm locked into that one. It's also fun because and like you'll get you'll get to be locked into that and only that yes, because correct. There's the, that that game's at twelve ten and there's not another game until two mm-hmm. forty. Yep. Games don't start to overlap until we get later into the day. Um, and you'll get the Duke, the Duke Tennessee game, all on its lonesome, lonesome as well. Before things kind of start to kind of start to overlap. All right, there you go. That's the Friday round one recap. We'll be back tomorrow uh, on Sunday morning as well as Monday morning, and uh, we'll keep rolling through it. Um, I, I, it has been 26 hours since I have been asleep and we are still here doing this podcast. So please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. Uh, YouTube, you can find the, the video versions of these podcasts as well there. TikTok, all of those fun things. Um, and we'll be back tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.